Well, this is a Father's Day on a Sunday, and so we're going to talk a little bit about the family. And one of the things we all have in common, each one of us here had some kind of a father. Would we all agree? We wouldn't be here if we didn't have a father, and we all have some kind of family that we were born into, and, and we have some kind of family relationships to uh, at least some degree uh, presently. And, and what does it God have to say to the family? Now, particularly on this Father's Day, you say, what does God have particularly say to fathers who are in the family? And, and we're going to do that this morning, but I want to broaden it a little bit. Uh, on Mother's Day, we, we talk to the, the ladies and, and mothers in our time together, but we also wanted to broaden the application, and we said, men, we want you to be in touch with your feminine side. We want you to realize that as the, as the, the mom or the lady in the house, often they are the, the source of most encouragement and tenderness and love and, and sensitivity in the home, and, and men, we ought to have that role as well. And even the Apostle Paul said that as he worked with people in the church, he tried to, to mother them as well in tenderness and care. In the same way today, as we, as we talk primarily to men, but also realizing anyone who takes on that role. And sometimes in single-parent families, you have to wear both hats, the mother and the, and the father in the home. And, and God has a word to all of us. And, and this, this is why I entitled the, the, the message, Man Up Family. And you're thinking, well, there's no men in our family. How can we man up if there's no men? Which simply means sometimes you have to take the role of a man in a family. And, and what does God say to men? There's a passage in the Bible in 1 Corinthians that says this, to men, be on the alert, which when anyone tells you to be on the alert, they're probably presupposing that you're not what? On the alert. You're kind of sleeping at the wheel. You're not really ready for what comes next. And so Paul writes to the men, he says, be on the alert, wake up. In fact, literally you could say that's what he, that word means, wake up. And then he says, stand firm, which again, he's probably implying that you're not staying firm. So I want you to dig in there a little bit. And he says, stand firm in your faith. And then he says this, act like men. Now, if we put a period there, you go, what in the world does he mean by that? What does it mean to act like a man? Well, he doesn't leave us in the dark. He says, be strong. And so the, the, the opposite of acting like a man is not being strong, but being weak. And there's reasons why sometimes we men act weakly, because we're not sure what we ought to do, or we don't have the spine to do what we know we ought to do, because we don't feel like doing it. And he says, look it, be on the alert, wake up. Stand firm in your faith. That's, that's what it's all about. Act like a man. And the way you act like a man is be strong, be courageous, do what needs to be done. But if we, if we left it there, we still might say, well, yeah, that sounds kind of harsh. You're, you know, you're, 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 you're being strong and you're, you're acting like a man. He, he says, oh, by the way, when you are strong and courageous and doing what needs to be done, he says, let all things be done in love. And so some put it, put it this way, you know, how, how should we treat people? We ought to treat people like a brick covered by velvet, you know. We want, to have, we want to be strong, but there ought to be a softness about our strength and directing people in the right direction. And so this morning, that, that's what I want to talk about is manning up in the family. And, and really the idea here is, is, is the challenge to manly father um, those in the family by teaching them the what, the why, and the how of growing up. If you know, some people, you know, no matter what their age, they, they don't ever seem to grow up. You know, they just keep repeating the same year over and over and over and over again. They used to have some teachers like that, too. They seemed like they just used the same material over and over and over again. And, and he said, look, I want you to grow up. I, I don't want you to remain like you are. And, and if that's going to happen, someone's going to have to teach you along the way. 
And so often, you know, we don't always do the, the best of jobs of doing in terms of raising up the next generation. I was reading about this one commentary and he, commentator, and he said this. He said uh, there's this, this husband who was sitting watching TV, and it was a documentary on all that was happening in terms of rebellious youth in our culture. And it was getting him more and more agitated as he watched this documentary. And so he turned to his wife and said, we have really messed up. What have we done? What, where have we gone wrong with this new generation? To which the wife thought for a moment and said, we had children. <laughs> but, you know, you could say that about any period of time is that no matter what decade you're living in or what generation you're living in, you always think the next generation is worse than the, the previous generation. You know, in the good old days, right? In the good old days, we were this way. And now the, in the bad days, we're like this way. But every generation has felt that. We, we sometimes fail or seem to fail the next group of people populating this planet. And some of that is that we forget the bad things of the past. And we, only forget the, we only remember the bad things of the present or the fear of the future. But the reality is, much of what happens in the next generation, we have to look at ourselves and why we allow this to happen is because what we didn't do or what we should have done. I was reading about another person who was commenting on the family. He said, well, you know, when you think about having a, ch- a child in your, in your home, you might want to think about it again. And in our culture, there are a lot of families that are having, deciding not to have any children or just fewer children than they did in previous generations. Uh, but this one person said, well, you know, if you're going to have a child, you might think about only having one. And they said, why would you only have one? Because you always outnumber the one in your family, you know. And they said, well, you might have two because at least the, the odds are even. It's two to two. And most of the time, you're bigger than them. Now, they grow up to be bigger than you sometimes, but at least for a lot of period of time, you're bigger than them. And they said, you know, if you get three or four, what happens is now that you're outnumbered. Now, in our family, my wife, and I, my wife and I had four children, and it was a delight of our life to have four children. Just made the more, the merrier. But as you think about that, it is a challenge to, to raise children. And, and sometimes when you sit back or stand back, you say, well, how am I supposed to raise them? What am I supposed to do with them? And the Bible is God's message to us how to know Him, but also how to live according to His plan. And sometimes we make it more complicated than it is. This, this is a big book. This is the, the Bible that I have and that I'm preaching from today. There's a lot of pages here. There's a lot of words in it. And you, we're not going to master every single word. And sometimes we miss the clear points that God makes. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, I think, the clearest passage in God's Word about speaking. What, what do we need to do in the home? And I've, I've tried to introduce that already. What, what we need to do in the home is to teach what needs to be done, why it needs to be done, and how it's supposed to happen to get it done, all right? That's, that's pretty straightforward. What, what needs to be done, why should it be done, and how can we make it happen? And so hopefully this will have application for all of us because either in the future we're going to have children or in the present we used to have children, and whether we have children in the home or whether we have grandchildren we know or we're around children in the neighborhood or we have people in our relational world that we're trying to have an influence on, and these principles apply to all of us. H- how can we be the best person we can be to the people around us? And what are some fundamental things all of us need to know to grow up? And, and why should we grow up? And, how do, and then how should we grow up? And we're going to try to see that this morning. So if you have your outline, there are a few typos in here, but it'll help you follow along as we look at 
God's game plan for the family and to man up, which means it's going gonna, it's gonna to require us being strong and courageous and doing what needs to be done, but doing it in love. And there's no place in God's Word to do what needs to be done in a harsh, mean-spirited way. It all should be done in love. So what, what does every family need to, to know and every child need to know uh, for them to grow up? Number one, to grow up, we all need to learn what we need to do. Well, what do we need to do? Well, in a little book in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 6, God inspires Paul, the Apostle Paul, to write it very plainly. He says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, with the, uh, the possibility of sounding too simplistic this morning, I want to suggest that the, the fundamental thing every parent needs to teach a child is teach that child to, and it's the old word, it's what? Obey. Would you agree with that? If your child never <laughs> learns to obey, not only will you have havoc in the home, but when they leave that home, they're going to create havoc wherever they go, right? Because they're going to be that person where you can never tell them what to do because of whatever you tell them what to do, they're going to do the exact opposite. And whenever you give them things that should be on their agenda, they're going to say, no, I want to do what I want to do, not what you want to do. And all of life is, is, is found in an environment which either you're in authority or under authority. Isn't that true? Either you are the person telling people what to do or you're the person being told what to do. Can you think of any part of life where that's not true? We're always in those situations, whether it's at school or at work or in an athletic team or whatever it might be, or in the government or the military or at a job. You're always in that situation. Either you're the one in charge or you're the one who is in ch- being told what to do because there's a person in charge over you. And I want to submit to you very plainly that is also a mirror of our relationship with God. If you believe there is a God and that God is almighty, uh, there's a verse um, that's going to be used in the vacation Bible school with our children. It's found in the last book of the New Testament, Revelation 1.8, which says, um, Jesus, is, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. And if you're not sure what that means, that's just the Greek words for He is the A to the Z. He is, from, he is everything. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And then it says this, who was and is and is to come. Jesus didn't just arrive here on Christmas. He's always been, and he always will be. And then he says he's the Almighty. And so as, as we think about who Jesus is, is that, that, that Jesus is the person who sets, sets the agenda for us because he's the one who's in, char- in charge. And in our relationship with Jesus, we need to understand that we are to follow what he wants us to do and not just go our own way. And we're going to be fighting with God if we're always trying to tell God what to do, realizing that's not our job. Our job is to find out what God wants us to do and then do it. So in the home, the first thing we need to do is realize our responsibility as a parent or in relationships we're in a position of authority that we need to teach children and the people we know that they need to learn to obey. Now, I I get fascinated with words sometimes. What does the word obey mean? Well, in the, in the Greek language, it comes from a word in which we, we can relate to because it's a word that we use in our own language. It's the word akuo, from which we get the word acoustics. And if you're in a particular, I don't care, it could be in your car or it could be in your home, and, and if you want to learn or hear the music that's going on, you want to hear it well, don't you? It's the acoustics in a room will cause you to be able to hear something either well or not very well. 
And this word is intensified in the original language for the word for obey here. It means you need to listen well to the sounds coming at you. And isn't that sometimes what we'll say to, to children um, who you're, you're speaking, but they're not, what are they not doing? They're not, they're not listening. Has, has anyone been in that experience where you're talking and no one's listening? It happens to me every Sunday. You know, I'm talking, none of you out there are listening, you know. And, 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 and what he's saying here, children need to listen. They need to listen. And you need to listen in the Lord. And they need to listen to the point that they not only understand it, but then do it. Okay? And, and that's the point. And so it, it gets pretty simple in terms of what's on our agenda as being a, a, um, a parent in the home, and particularly for a father in the home. You need to teach your children well to the point they need to learn that they, they are to obey people who are in authority. And, and for us in our culture today, that, that sounds almost harsh, you know, learning to obey. And yet, we all need to do that, and we already illustrated that, whether it be in school or at work or in the military or whatever it might be, that that's, that's just what ha- needs to happen. What needs also to happen is to find where my notes are. I can't even find where my notes are. But anyway, um, well, how is, that, how is that lived out even in the life of Jesus? In, in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says that, that Jesus learned to obey his parents. He put himself in subjection to them. And when he put himself in subjection to him, uh, it, it, it sort of surprised his mother. It said he tr- she treasured that in her own heart. And then it says he grew in, in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, some of you are familiar with that verse, some of you are not. But it's interesting where it says he learned to obey his mother and his father. And you think, well, he's Jesus. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the Almighty. He's the one who was and is and is to come. Why did he have to obey? Because Jesus came not only to be our Savior, but also to be our example. And right before that story is, is a story in which, it, it's kind of an amazing story, where Jesus went on a road trip with his parents, and they went to Jerusalem, and they were in the temple, and they were doing some things in the temple, and all of a sudden his parents left, and maybe you've had this experience, have you ever, have you ever gone on a trip and left something, or at least felt you left something? You know, we think, did I leave the oven on, you know, did I lock the doors, or did, did I bring enough, that whatever I need to, to, to stay on this trip, to did, did I bring my towel? I always forget my toothbrush. I always have to buy more toothbrushes because I forget my toothbrush. For some reason, my wife doesn't want me to doesn't want to loan her toothbrush to me. You know, so so I have to buy my own toothbrush. And and, and they're gone for a day in Luke chapter two. And all of a sudden, they look around and said, um, "Where's Jesus?" And they probably said, uh, uh, "Mary, do you have Jesus?" And Mary said to Joseph, "Do you have Jesus?" And I don't have Jesus. I thought you had Jesus. They, they were gone an entire day and didn't notice he wasn't around. So they have to turn around the caravan and go back to Jerusalem. And they get back in Jerusalem. It took another day, day to get out and day to come in. And it took them another day to find him. And after three days, they finally find Jesus. He's in the temple and he's actually instructing at age 12 the rabbis and the religious leaders of that day because he knew more than they did. And he said, why have you done this to us? And he said, why are you surprised? I'm simply about my father's business, his heavenly father. And, and finally, you know, they, they convinced him, well, we were scared to death. And so he, he leaves the, the temple area and goes back with him. And, and that's where, you know, it comes back and he says, he learned after that just to live in obedience to them. As we think about even Jesus, who was in authority, when he was under the authority of his parents, he chose to listen to them and to obey them. Every child needs to learn that because if they don't learn it there, 
they're going to experience the consequence of that later. But as you, as you think about that, did Jesus ever, ever get over learning to be obedient? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you say, well, where, where does obedience come in there? You know, one of the prayers that Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father, at least on the surface, looks like the heavenly Father didn't answer in the affirmative. Before he went to the cross, he, he pleaded with his heavenly Father, Will you take this cup from me? But then he said, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And so Jesus humbled himself to the point of experiencing that which he knew would separate him from his heavenly father as he died on the cross for us. He was willing to submit himself in listening to the will of his father than his own will. And so as we think about what life is all about, life is all about understanding that life is built on authority and submission. People in authority, people in charge, and people who, who are under people are in charge, and we need to obey what they have to say. Now, however, you're a person like me, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that could go way too far. People could abuse their authority. Do people abuse authority? Do, do people, uh, are some people in authority unrighteous and mean-spirited? So is there any kind of qualification? Well, the, the Bible does put that plainly. And one example that is found in Acts chapter 5, where the apostles were told, now, by those in authority, they, they couldn't tell people about Jesus. And Peter said this to them, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So there's a place where parents and other people in authority, whether it be an employer or someone at school or a coach or whatever it might be, if, if they're doing things that are immoral, illegal, something that's obviously breaking uh, the will of God, we, we must say no to that. But the vast majority of things that we're ever asked to do in any type of position of, of being under someone else's authority it, it has nothing to do with morality or legality. It has simply something that they want you to do, something you don't want to do at that moment, right? You know, go make your bed. I don't want to make my bed. You know, uh, Go finish your homework. I don't want to finish my homework. You know, go, go uh, clean a latrine if you're in the, in, the, in the military or whatever it might be. And they're telling you to do something you don't want to do. But if it's not illegal or immoral or it's going to harm somebody, then you just submit your will to them because they are in a position of authority and you are called to follow them. And, and really, when you think about a relationship with God, it, it, it really is fundamental with that, isn't it? If you look at the very first sin that ended in this world, what happened is they, they had one commandment, don't eat of the forbidden fruit. And what did they do? They disobeyed the one rule that they had. Because at that point, they wanted their will to be done and not God's will to be done. And so it, fundamentally in the home, if, if we're to man up in the home, to, to be courageous and to be strong, is that we teach children to obey, to listen to those in authority and follow it. Not only in the home, but throughout their life. And it, this is really where you experience to the depths of God's love. In John 14, 21, uh, Jesus said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. And just think about it for a moment. If you're convinced your mother or your father or your coach or your teacher or, or your employer or whatever it might be has your best interests in their heart, that they really care about you, it is it is so much easier to obey those commandments, isn't it? Or obey those rules or do what they ask you to do. And that's what God wants us to always remember. When we do that in a relationship with Him, 
That's that submission and authority. And it begins to be learned in the home. Now, is that going to be easy to teach children that? Of course not. Because you, you don't have to have, you don't, we, we've all experienced children wanting their way, not your way, right? Uh, do you have to teach children um, not to share? No, you have to teach them to share, right? And they have to be convinced that's the better way to live, is to share what they have, not hoard it for themselves. And so that's the constant challenge in the home. What do we need to teach children? To obey, to listen up, to do what needs to be done. And that's true not only in the home, but throughout their life. But then it gets the question, well, why do they need to do that? Well, obviously the Word of God says it, but let's look at it a little bit further. In the outline it says Ephesians 6, but it's actually, I mean Luke 6, but it's actually Ephesians 6. To grow up, we need to, tell people, we need to teach children what to do, but also we need to teach children why they are to do what they need to do. Paul writes this, uh, and very plainly, you know, why, should you children, why do you need to teach children to obey in the Lord? And then he uses these, these four words, for this is right. That's pretty plain language, isn't it? For this is right. The first rule, I guess, a reason why we ought to obey, you know, learn to obey, is it is right. And the person who is giving you orders, it is, they have the right to, to tell you what to do. When, when the officer of the law pulls you over on the street because you're going too fast, the reality is they have the right to pull you over, and you better t- realize it's right for you to listen to what they're saying to you uh, at that particular time. It is right. It comes actually from the word dikaios, which means it is just, it is, it is that which is good and fair, and that's why we ought to do it. Now, often when we're with people and they don't seem to be listening to our instruction, and they say, why do we have to do it, particularly with a child, you say, because I, so I said so, I told you so. You just need to listen. I told you you got to do this. And, and, and that's a position of you know, authority and responsibility. But I, I want to submit to you, it, it is always good to give reasons why you are given instructions so that they can understand why you're asking them to do what needs to be done. Does that make sense? As we follow God, we, we want to see the wisdom of, uh, of following God. That's our verse for the month. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Why should you go down that path? Because that's the wise thing to do. That, otherwise, you're, you're acting foolishly. This is the right thing for you to do. And, and even when you don't understand all the wisdom behind it, all the reason behind it, you realize that, that again, the, the parent or the person in authority, whether it be at the workplace or the, the school or athletic field or whatever it might be, is that they have your best interests at heart. And, and so we want to give wise as far as why children ought to do what needs to be done it is right but he goes on and he says honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise and here's the promise that you may it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth now here's some implied reasons why we ought to learn to obey we ought to learn to do what people in authority tell us to do particularly in the home um, and he just puts it very plain because, number one, it will be well with you. And secondly, it will lengthen life. It will be well with you, which another way to say it, it's the quality of life. If your life's going to be better if you do what you're told, then why would you want to do the opposite? This is going to be better for you. Uh, and think about certain situations. If, 
if you don't do what the teacher tells you in a class, what kind of grade are you going to get? A horrible grade, right? Okay, now, there are times they give you assignments you don't think you need to do, and they tell you to do papers you don't want to write, whatever it might be. But if you want to get a good grade, if you want to be well with you, simply do what they tell you to do, right? And, and, and that's true in every part of life. If a coach is trying to tell you to do some things a certain way and you want to go down another path, well, if you want to play, you better do what the coach tells you to do because it's going to be well with you. In any part of life, if, if you do what you're told to do, and we're not talking about illegal things or immoral things or things that break God's commandments, but in things that are just being presented to you by the one who is leading whatever is going on, particularly in the home, but also in the marketplace or, or educational place, it, it's going to be better for you. It's going to be well with you. Your, your quality of life will be so much better. And then he even says it will lengthen your life. And the reality is interesting in the Old Testament that if you were to curse your father or mother, this is in Exodus chapter 21, 17, they could actually, that could have been a capital punishment affair. That, that, was that, that, was, that was strong. They were trying to eliminate uh, disobedience in the family. And they say, if you curse your father and mother, your life could be taken from you. But I want to quote that verse in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible says that when we obey God and we obey Him, that it's always going to be better for you. In Joshua 1.8 it says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Which simply means this, is that we ought to be able to be conversant about the Bible. We, we ought to be able to speak about things that the Bible teaches us. Not because it's a religious thing to do, but because we want to know what God has said. It's one thing to say, I want, I'm, I'm listening to what the pastor says, or my pastor says, or my church says this. And that's okay, but really what you want to do is, well, this is what God's Word says. This is what the Bible says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall be meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Now, meditation, there's a lot you could say about meditation, but it simply means this, is, is you take what the God's Word says and you think about it deeply over and over and over and over and over again. To the point where you say, well, I want to see how that applies, how, how that would uh, work out in where I live and how I live and who I live it with. And, and you begin thinking it through. And then as you think it through, you say, well, then where's the application for my life? So I, I would do it very well. And here's the promise, for they will make your way prosperous and then you'll have success. So when we do what God tells us, it's only going to be better. And he wants us to realize that and know that. Um, and so as we think about what we're to do, we're to learn to be obedient to people in, in position of authority. We need to listen to what they have to say. And when it's not immoral or illegal or something that breaks God's commandments, we want to do what's required of us and asked of us. And why should we do this? Because it's the right thing to do. Can you imagine what our world would be like if everybody did that which was right for them to do and other, for other people? We wouldn't have, need as many policemen. We wouldn't need to have all the armed forces that we have today because people did what was right. And, and then it would be well for them and well for people around them, and, and lives would be lived longer because there would be the consequences of actions. But you're thinking, well, but, but why does that need to be done? Why, aren't, aren't people just naturally good? Aren't people going to just do the good things because that's, that's a, the natural thing to do? Well, the sad reality is, no, it's not. In, so, in Proverbs twenty-two fifteen, you might want to write this reference down. The Bible says this, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. 
Now, we're not going to have anybody raise their hand at this point, but has anybody ever done anything foolish in this world? Have you ever done anything foolish? You did something you wish I had never done, or, and you did something foolish, and you got the consequences of your foolish acts? And you ever ask yourself, well, where did that foolish idea come from? Did my parents tell me to do that? Probably not. Did the people that are over me tell me to do that? Probably not. Why did you do it? Because at that moment, it sounded like the good t- thing to do or the thing you felt like doing or the thing you want to do. And, you, and then you take a step back. Man, that was a foolish act. And, and, and you, when you do that and you experience that, you just confirm what the Bible says. Foolishness is bound up in the heart, not only of a child, but in an adult. And, and the only way we'll learn from that is to be corrected every time it happens and experience the consequences of that happen. There's another verse that's just interesting to me. It's a if I can find it real quickly, in, in Proverbs chapter 29, uh, I think it's verse 15. Let me run through it right now. I was just reading it this morning. It kind of struck me about, um, say that it talked about the, the discipline. It says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. And I think, well, where did that come from? Well, it came from the heart of each one of us. We always want our own way, don't we? We, we always all want to go down the path that we feel we ought to go down. And when we, real, when we always get our own way, it's going to be, be bring shame to our family and everyone else. Have you noticed that? The, the, the child that is spoiled, that always gets their way, do you want them to invite them over for a sleepover? Do you want them over? Do you, do you want to spend time in their family? No, because they're controlling the environment, aren't they? Because they always get their own way. And, and so as we think about what ought to happen in a home, number one, in a home, everyone needs to learn authority and submission. Realize that, that people need to learn to obey people in positions of responsibility and authority. And particularly, parents had that role. Secondly, they need to be reminded why they need to respond in obedience. Because it's the right thing to do. It will always be better for them if they do it. And they'll even lengthen their life. They'll get quality of life and quantity of life. But then you might be thinking, like I'm thinking, well, (laughs) that seems pretty simple. Then why doesn't it just happen naturally? Why doesn't it happen all the time? Well, that's because of the, the words he says to the fathers and those who take on the role of fathers. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Why does it happen? Because often, as you, as you think about it, is that it doesn't happen because there isn't a very good example being shown to the children who are ca- called to obey. Do not provoke your children to anger. You know the best way to provoke your children to anger? Just be a hypocrite, right? You know, don't do what I do, do what I, do what I say, right? Now, you're never going to be perfect, but if somehow you say, well, the rules apply to you, but they don't apply to me, that will frustrate children to no end. Because they're saying, look, at this, this can't be right, because if it was so right, you would do it, right? And, and that's in every part of life. If you want them to eat a certain way, it's going to be so much better if you eat that way, right? If you, if you tell them, I don't want you to eat junk food and that's all you eat, what are they going to eat? They're going to eat junk food. If, if you tell them, I, I think you got to read your Bible, and you never read your Bible, uh, you think that's going to be an encouragement to read your Bible? If you, if you want to say, I want you to put God first, I want you to love God more than anything else, and they look at your life, and they don't see that. 
If, if they say, I, I want you to serve others, not to serve yourself, and, and you don't serve others, are they going to take that? And, and so we will provoke children to anger, to wrath, and to disobedience when somehow they look at our lives and they say, well, I don't, I don't see the example in your life. And, and the best thing, when you mess up your example, just admit it. Don't cover it up. Don't say, I, you know, I didn't really do it. Just say, hey, I messed up, and now I want to go down the other path. And so we need, to be, we need to be transparent before our children, admit we're wrong, and, and, and try to practice what we preach. And you say, well, I don't, I don't preach up here. Every time we, we say something to someone, we're preaching at somebody, right? And either we're trying to be faithful to what we tell other people to do, uh, or we're not. It's, it's, like, it's like the mechanic who, who's, who's always fixing somebody else's car, but their car doesn't what? Car doesn't run. Do you want to go to that mechanic? Or, you know, how about, how about, you want to go to the counselors who's gone through five marriages and you want to go to them and say, well, can you teach, teach me about marriage? You know, I mean, sometimes they have, they, they've learned from their mistakes, but out, you want to find someone who's, who's lived out what, what they're trying to teach you to live. Or at least they admit their mistakes and say, well, here's what I've done wrong and here, here's how you can, can maybe go down a path that better lived. And so, number one, as we think, well, how do we need to, number one is we need to, it requires an example. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it's, it's an amazing statement about Jesus. and This is what it says. Have this attitude in yours, which was also in Christ Jesus. As we think about following Jesus, we follow Jesus, not just the words he said, but the life he lived. And, and God wants us to live life that is servant, serving others and not serving ourselves. But, but secondly, it's going to require some intentionality as well because he says, don't provoke your children to anger. And there's a lot of ways to do that. You can, you can show favoritism. You can give them petty rules. You can make comparisons that should not be made. You can um, have unrealistic expectations. There's all kinds of ways you can, you can exasperate your children. Uh, but I think the, the best way you can exasperate your children is not trying to live out what you're asking them to live out. But then he goes on, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And say, here's where the unique thing, the uniqueness of Christianity here is, and it's saying we're, we're not just trying to give people good advice. And a lot of these principles will work with people who aren't Christians as well, because God's word is true, uh, whether we believe He's true, because they're, they're, it is truth, God's truth, all, all truth is God's truth. But if you really want to get it, it's, it's not about just turning over a new leaf, it's, it's God creating a new leaf. He doesn't want us just to have a better heart, He wants to give us a new heart. And He said, this must be done in the Lord, and it's done in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, I was reading a, a quote from the Minnesota Crime Commission that was made a number of years ago, and this is, this is what they said about <laughs> those little critters in people's homes. Every baby starts life as a little savage. This is, this is a secular crime commission, a Minnesota Crime Commission. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it, his bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these, and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were it, he not so helpless. He's dirty, he has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions, to satisfy each want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, and a killer. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? Now, you might say, well, they, they kind of overstated the case. Well, I don't know. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one who does good. And I was just with uh, my four kids yesterday. They had a 
Father's Day on Saturday, and I was with my youngest grandchild. Have I told you I've got grandchildren? So I don't want to. And, um, you know, look at little Jack, and, you know, he, he'll laugh when you try to make him laugh. He'll play when you want to play with him. But there is, every time he's hungry, you know what he does? He just cries, you know, and he makes it known, well known that his needs should be met. And how, when does he want those needs met? Now, right now. He doesn't care what anybody else is doing, what everybody else is wanting to do. He wants his needs met right now because inherently he's selfish, right? And, and, and as he learns to enjoy his toys, when he has the toys he likes more, he's, he's going to have to be taught how to share, right? Because he's want he's he to keep what he has. And, and I was, again, I was with my... Uh, other little grandchild and uh, later on this week and I was I took her to the park and again she said you know I like it so much better when it's just you and me because you give me your full attention <laughs> you know, I don't want to share with you with anybody it, is that we, we all are inherently self-centered and, and for that to be rooted out is that we have to be taught that and disciplined and and really those two words mean this discipline means that it needs to be some things done to us so we experience the consequences of our attitude and actions. And then instruction means we need to learn the right path because it doesn't necessarily come naturally. And that's why how God treats us. I want to read from Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible talks to us that God is the ideal parent. He's the ideal father. It says this, My son, do not regard lightly the instruction of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom he loves... The Lord disciplines. That's what he tells the parent in the home to do as well. You need to discipline your children. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons or daughters for that matter. It's like the one quote I read recently is that... um, the child was struggling in the home and said, I, I just don't know what to do. It, it, it's like my father, when there's a mosquito, he, he kills it with a shotgun. I mean, he way overdoes it. But on the other end, sometimes I feel like I'm getting away with murder. And so you see the two extremes. Either the punishment does not fit the crime, and that's the fall of the parent. Or the crime is never addressed because you spoil the child. And so the challenge of the parent is always to say, okay, I want to look at the behavior of the child and the heart of the child, and I want to give consequences for action so the ch- child knows this is inappropriate behavior, it's going down the wrong path. But on the other hand, I want that child to know what is the right path. Because you can frustrate children when they, when they don't know what to expect from, from you, what, what you want, what, what pleases you. And so it needs to be both verbal, but also it needs to be tied to action. And so we need to be instructing our children in what path we want them to go on. And, and that's why the Word of God is so critical, is that we want to point people down the path of knowing there is a God who loves them and cares for them and wants what's best for them. And, and, they, and so as we think about it, it's, it's not only uh, setting the example, but it is correcting our children and it's teaching them what God wants them to learn. In, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, there's a, there's a clear passage out of, out of the Proverbs, and it says this. Honor, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And, and so we need to be inputting into our, our family what our values are, and so that they can take those same values and realize that God has a better plan, a better way to go. 
So I want to conclude this, this time together by just asking the question of all of us is, how are we doing? And you might be thinking like I am, well, you know, I, I'm now at the stage of life where all my four children are out of the home. Now, I, I still get to see them, and I have grandchildren, and I'm trying to impact and influence their lives and, and support what their parents, my children, are doing with them and for them and, and to them and in them. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm not on the primary role of being a parent, though you never, you never leave the role of a parent, right? No matter how long they've lived away from you, that you, you still have the opportunity for influence. But what we want to do is not only with our own kids, but other kids and other people around us, we want, we want to be focused on what is, what is right and what is best. We, we want to announce to people that a relationship with God begins with understanding that He's God and we're not. Have you discovered that? He's God and we're not. And, and if He's God, then we want to do what He wants us to do and not just our own agenda. We want to learn to listen to Him. That's what obey means, to listen to Him intently and to respond to His voice and obey Him. And when we struggle with, with wanting to do what he wants to do because we don't always want to do what God wants us to do. Have you learned that as well? Sometimes we want to go down our own path. And, and then we need to remind ourselves, well, what's right? God's way is right. And, and why would I want to do what's right? Because when I do what's right, it's going to be better for me. It's going to be well for me. It's going to enhance my life, lengthen my life. Well, how do I really capture that? Well, I need to follow example. And who's the best example? Jesus is the best example, right? And he, he directs us down the path by his, by his life and by his words. And, and I want to be taught. And I want to, I want to experience the consequences of my action. If that's going to teach me to, to follow that path more clearly and faithfully. And, and then I want to take what I've learned and I, I, I want to share it with that others. And I, I want to be passionate about simply understanding that I want to teach people to do what's right, to, to obey. And I want them to understand that that's, that's where life is lived to its fullest because we're going to go down God's plan, not my own plan. And I want to follow some example, but I want to be that example to somebody else. We concluded the first service with, with a hymn about we are the child of God and God is our Father. He's our good Father. And, and, and we're, when we follow that God is our good Father, we're no longer a slave to fear. I mentioned I was with my, my kids yesterday and my daughter was there and she has her, she has her first child. His name is Jack. And and I just reminded, just looking at her and thinking, the roles that she's going to have of being that parent to that child. And I remember uh, when, um, when we were in, in Banning, we had a, we had a house, and, and the boys had had, had, had multiple people in the, in the rooms where the, the, the little princess, you know, since she was the only girl, she had her own room. And, and that, was a, that was an advantage for her, but it was also a disadvantage because at night sometimes she would get fearful. She'd be scared, and, and there'd be no one in her room, and she'd cry out and say, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And that was my role, to go into, the, into, her, into her room to somehow comfort her. And, and nothing seemed to work, and finally I just said, well, I've got to give her a verse to memorize or something like that. And, and there's a verse in First John that says that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And I, and I said to, you know, Cindy, I... I can't tell you that nothing fearful will ever happen in your life, something that might happen. But I want you to know that there's someone who cares you, for you so much that no matter what happens in your life, there's someone who loves you perfectly. And when you remember that, all the fear that seems to be controlling you right now that you've become a slave to will just be cast out of your heart. And she learned to, to trust God. And every time she got fearful, she would just say, perfect love casts out fear. 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 And she knew if God loved her that much, 
that he would be with her no matter what would happen or could happen, then that fear that seemed to be controlling her didn't have to control her. And it could be cast out of her heart. And I want to submit to you, as we man up in the family, or we man up in relationship, as we try to set the example and, and direct people down the right path, we're setting people free. Not be controlled by their fears, but be controlled by the love of a God who cares so much about them. He's provided everything they need and sent his son to be in them and with them. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for all of us this morning that we might realize that, that being a parent requires no one to be a coward because it is, it is an impossible task. And yet you empower us, whether we have it in a formal way or informal way, to influence people by helping point them in the right direction and going down the right path. Help us all to to learn to, to respond to people in authority with a willingness to do what needs to be done. Help us to always remember the why. It's always that which is right in your eyes that is pleasing to you. And help us to follow the example of Jesus who showed that he was willing to humble himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, to die on a cross for us. Father, is anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they realize that God loves them? God loves them so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for their sins and to be risen from the dead so they could have life that's found in Jesus. And Father, for us who know you, might we live in such a way that we want to do what you've told us to do and to be what you want us to be so that people can see Jesus in us and we follow down your path in a way that brings the joy of life that only you can give. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we close.